0: Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, what is God like? A study of the attributes of the Almighty. Let's get started, shall we? Uh, as I said at the beginning, tonight we're continuing our study with, uh, of the sovereignty of God. Last week we really kind of laid the groundwork uh, regarding the sovereignty of God, namely trying to figure out what is the sovereignty of God. And if you haven't heard part one yet, I definitely encourage you to uh, go check it out on the podcast or on the YouTube channel either way. uh, That way you can be caught up with what it is that we're learning. Uh, We had a definition that we were working with about the sovereignty of God, and that's going to be true uh, today as we continue on studying His sovereignty. And the definition is that what we're saying when we say that God is sovereign is that He has the right And the ability to do all that he pleases, whenever he pleases, and however he pleases. That he has supreme authority over all of his creation. Tonight, we're going to briefly look at uh, why that's true and why that's a good thing. And we will also discuss some implications regarding his sovereignty in the world and in your personal life. Before we get started this evening, we don't have an anchor um, scripture to to read together, but we'll have a lot of scripture we'll get into. Uh, But let's go ahead and say a word of prayer, um, asking for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we enter um, into this time this evening, God, with a longing in our hearts, a longing that we could gather together together. Uh, Once again, be here in in this church building with one another. And, And Lord, while this time in this virtual setting will by no means replace that, God. We do still want to take the time tonight to be thankful, Lord, that you have provided us an opportunity to still be able to uh, gather in some fashion and, and to learn your word, Lord. We know that your word is not bound by internet signals or, or TV screens or phone screens. Lord, your word is powerful. So tonight, God, I, I pray that it would not be my own words or my own thoughts that I would be sharing with everyone, but that it would be your word going forth, entering into the ears of your children and affecting our hearts for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So God's sovereignty. The very first thing that we want to discuss tonight is that this is a very good thing. It would be easy for us to begin to think of God's sovereignty in terms of totalitarianism or a a dictatorship, um, you know, where someone wields uh, unrelenting power over his subjects and and we're just kind of all forced into manual labor. Uh, But that is not the case with God. See, though it is true that he does have the right and the ability to do all that he pleases, This is a good thing because God is good. He's he's not a wicked person the way a dictator is. He's a good God and he's loving. You see, God is not like us. He is incorruptible. He cannot be bought off with bribes or coerced into acting against his will God is loving and as such he cannot act in a corruptible way. He cannot act in a way that is corrupt. All that God does is good. Thus we ought not fear when we're considering his right and ability to do all that he pleases because he's righteous and he's holy. So God will always act as such we don't have any reason to fear this if we are his children moreover all that god does is for a purpose namely all that god does is for his own glory in isaiah forty-three twenty-five, this is god speaking and he says i i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins Psalm 23 3 you know this one he leads me in paths of righteousness why for his own name's sake Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-two. therefore say to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God it is not for your sake O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Everything that God does up to and including salvation itself is done for his own glory. And guess what? We benefit greatly from that. In him forgiving us of our sins, we are able to be in his presence. And as we find out in Psalm 1611, in his presence there is fullness of joy. So you see, the most loving thing that God can do for us is to act in the best interest of his own glory. As he does this, we benefit greatly from him being glorified. Now there's plenty more meat on that bone, uh, but we will keep this in mind as we move forward and, and ask a new question. In what ways does God exercise his authority or his sovereignty, and is he actively or passively involved in what goes on in the world? So let's first consider his sovereignty over the world. God's sovereignty over all of creation. The popular opinion regarding his sovereignty is that God kind of just lets things happen. So we need to ask, does he take an active interest in what goes on in the world, or does he sit back and merely observe what's taking place? Now we could assume that in in God having the right and the ability to act as he pleases, it's possible that what pleases him to do is to just sit back and, and just allow things to unfold as they unfold. You know the attitude of whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. Or you might hear that as que sera, sera. It's an old song, you know how it goes. Some believe that God created all of creation and then he withdrew from the midst of it that he effectively turned his back on it and he's just allowing things to happen however they happen this kind of brings to mind the the idea of the average american father now though gabby and i um, have not had the opportunity to be parents just yet We all have heard of of, of this story of the average American father who, whenever the wife says, I'm going to leave the children here at home with you, can I trust you? Oh, yeah, go ahead, honey, I got them, don't worry about it. And what happens as soon as mom leaves the house, dad goes and sits down in his man cave or in the living room right in front of the TV, turns it on and... Go go to the other room, kids. Play and behave yourself. And right then, at that point, the children have free reign over the house, right? Because they know dad's not paying attention. He's too focused on watching ESPN or taking a nap. So they can sneak in behind the the, the couch and, and go to the the refrigerator, and sneak in snacks before dinner, or whatever. They have free reign over the house. They're they're running amok, and only occasionally will dad pipe up and say, hey, behave yourselves in there. Don't make me come in there. It's a threat that falls on deaf ears, of course, because the children know dad's not going to do anything. He's watching TV. Sadly, many people think that This is how God operates. That God is just letting the children of the world, letting all of the affairs of the world operate as they will. And only occasionally does he step in to say, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. And it's an idle threat that no one takes seriously. He allows chance to govern the world. It's mere happenstance that wears the crown. The biggest supporters of complete human autonomy hold to this. What I mean by that is those who believe in complete human free will. You see, they say that God is not the cause of anything, that he never acts, he only reacts. He waits to see what you're going to do, and then he decides what he's going to do, that he's playing some form of cosmic chess with all of the players of the world. The ball is always in your court. What's crazy is that this is the most popular view in Christianity, but is it true? Is it what the Bible teaches? Is God's mighty hand constrained by the human will? And he now has no right or ability to act as he pleases because, you know, you have free will. So it's not God's will being done, it's your will being done. It's not God on the throne, but God is at the foot of the throne. It's not God's plan in motion, it's your plan. This paints the picture of a very small, frail God. But what the Bible teaches, let's let's look at the big picture, and then we'll zoom in. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will Psalm 33, 10 through 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. It's the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Psalm 93, 1 through 10. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. He Sorry, yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. Scripture clearly paints a detailed portrait of a very much in control God. He's in control of every last detail. Of the affairs of his creation. The disciples found out firsthand that even the winds and the waves obey his command. In Job 38, the Lord himself shows us a beautiful example of his sovereignty over his creation as he says that even the proud waves obey his command and they have to stay behind the line that God Almighty has drawn. Time itself Obeys his commands as the morning and the dawn come every day. And he keeps snow and hail in a storehouse. All you have to do is read through Exodus to learn of God's sovereignty. He raised up Pharaoh and even hardened Pharaoh's heart to display his own greatness. Exodus 9.16 says, But for this purpose, I have raised you up. I have raised you up. Why? To show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God did that. It was God who parted the, the mighty Red Sea so that his children could cross over safely. It was God who brought forth plagues and and pestilence and killed off the firstborn of the children over the land of Egypt. It was God himself who hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It was God who all throughout the book of Judges would allow Israel to be attacked and, and oppressed whenever they would disobey his commands. It was God who raised up both good and evil kings all throughout the Old Testament. It was Jesus Christ himself who prophesied of the total annihilation of Jerusalem in AD 70. The book of Revelation, have you ever read that? It's full of prophecies of a horrifying day of judgment. What is the point here? The point is that whether God directly causes it or allows it, that God is completely sovereign over the affairs of the world, both good and evil. Nothing happens without his say-so. No president can be elected no king rises to power, no dictator take control, no tornado can ravage, no hurricane can destroy, no virus can spread, no pandemic can ruin without the permission of the almighty God. All of it obeys his commands and his decrees. Not one single speck of dust on this earth, or in space for that matter, exists outside of the jurisdiction of the authority of the Almighty. Even you, even your life, God is sovereign over your life. Now let's look at what's popular about the popular opinion regarding your own life. As I mentioned before, there are those who hold that that we as human beings, that we have absolute, total free will. Many people, maybe even you, believe this. But what we need to know is that to have total free will means that you're sovereign. That no one can make you do anything. That you are under no one's control. What you envision in your mind, you can make happen. And you can accomplish all of the desires of your own heart. But is that what the Bible teaches? Well, let's see. Proverbs sixteen nine says, The heart of man plans his way, But the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, make all the plans that you want. Think what you want. Desire what you will. But it is the Lord who has the final say-so of what transpires in his creation. You and I are not in control of anything. And you know what? That's a very good thing contrary to popular opinion no you don't control your own destiny no if you dream it you can't achieve it no you can't speak things into existence no you do not call the shots in your own life it's not how this works these are all acts that can only be performed by one who is truly sovereign. To further illustrate this point, let's look at James four thirteen through 15. He writes, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Notice what he says. If the Lord wills, we will live. James writes that our lives are but a mist Consider not only the fragility of a vapor, but also the insignificance of a vapor. What can a vapor do aside from just wisp about for a bit until it vanishes? Who among us can keep his own heart beating? Who can stop acne from developing on their own skin? Who can control the length of their hair and and make more hair appear or stop their hair from graying? Many of us men who right now can't go see their barbers are understanding that we have very little control over our hair. And all the women at home said amen. But Who can determine when they will have a child? Who can add a few inches or take away a few inches from their height? Who can decide how many days they will live? Who can keep themselves from getting sick? None of us is the answer. As we are finding out during this pandemic, there is next to nothing that we have any sort of control over. We truly are as helpless as a mist, and the vapor this James says is your life now this is not to imply that we don't have the ability to choose and that we don't make decisions or further that we aren't responsible for the choices and decisions that we make we absolutely can and we absolutely are responsible we do make the choices and we are held responsible for those choices yet Not one of those choices, not a single plan that you make, not even a sin that you commit is outside of God's complete and utter control. Nothing happens without the Lord allowing it. If you read Genesis 20, you find the perfect instance of, of God keeping from someone from sinning. God says, For this reason, I have kept you from sinning against me. God has that power. God has that power. Scripture teaches us that, that as fallen humans, living in our sin, dead in our sin, that we are slaves to our sin. We're slaves. To that sin. That, that doesn't sound like complete free will to me. Moreover, we know that God's sovereignty is a fact and a reality and a truth. Those who would even disagree with it and say, no, he's, he's not really that sovereign or he doesn't really have that much control, look at your prayer life. Look at the things that you pray for and that you pray about. How many of you have gone to um, have an interview for a job that you really needed? And what do you do? You ask, you pray. You pray to God to give you favor. You pray that God would open this door. You pray that God would have this person hire you, that you would get this job. But do you not realize that in order for God to do that, He has to say no to the other people who are praying that exact same prayer, and he has to violate the free will of whoever's interviewing you that they would choose you. But we pray it anyway, don't we? We pray for a spouse. I remember when I was single, I certainly prayed that God would bring me a wife. God Please let me cross paths with this woman who's gonna, who I can marry, who's gonna love me, who's gonna be God, who's gonna be this, 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 that, and the other. And you do it too, we've all done it. Those of you who are single, you continue, you're praying those prayers right now, that God would bring you a spouse. But do we not realize that in order for God to answer that prayer, that means that, number one, the person that you marry, if other people wanted to marry that person, God is saying no to them to say yes to you. But also, God has to violate that person's free will in in order to make them and cause them to to find you attractive and find you personable and find you uh, loving and lovable and then fall in love with you in such a way that they would be willing to make a lifelong commitment to be with you. That sure sounds like an invasion of free will, doesn't it? But we pray for it, don't we? We pray for God to change us. How many of you have prayed for patience or or understanding or knowledge or wisdom or whatever? You know what you're doing is you're asking God to violate your free will to make you more patient or to make you more calm or more understanding or more wise, so God, in order to answer your prayer, has to violate your own free will, doesn't He? Now here's the kicker. We pray for the salvation of loved ones. Do you know what we are praying? Is God please violate that person's free will? will, and ability to choose and make them come to you, make that person see you in such a way that they forsake their sins and turn to you and serve you the rest of their life. God, violate their free will. But we pray these prayers, don't we? And you know what? We should, because God is sovereign And he can answer these prayers. We know deep down that God is sovereign. It's why we pray to him. It's why we petition him. The thing is that we are challenged by how far-reaching God's sovereignty really is. For example, when we consider suffering. You see, we love to quote Romans 8.28, don't we? And it's a powerful verse. And I never will make light of any verse in the Bible. But we love to say that God is working all two things together for our good. And what we really mean down deep down is that it's giving us some sort of comfort because we think that eventually, things aren't great right now, but eventually if I hang on and if I don't mess up too bad, God will give me something cool that's what we mean isn't it but what if that isn't the case you see we have to keep reading in that passage the end of verse 28 says that this promise is for those who are called according to his purposes do you know what that purpose is if you read verse 29, it'll tell you that that purpose is that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. His purpose is that you be shaped and molded to look like Jesus Christ. Now let's, let's, let's ask, how much suffering did Christ endure We went and talked about this at length in our message this past Sunday, didn't we? Of all the sufferings that Christ endured. But it's that Jesus that God predestined all believers to look like. So, what if God's good plan for you is to suffer all of your life? Well, God would never do that to me, I'm his child. Really? Okay. Well, what about everyone who's ever had cancer? Are they not Christians? None of them have ever been a Christian? Are we to assume then that anyone who's ever gotten into a fatal car wreck wasn't a Christian? Are we to assume that everyone who has is, who is perished at the hands of COVID-19, that none of those people We're God's children. Are we to assume that anybody who has any sort of illness that they deal with all their life, that there none of them are Christians? What about those who are suffering around the world right now for the gospel? Who are having their families ripped apart or being thrown into prisons or worse, beheaded? Because of the gospel, are we to assume that God just doesn't love them enough to keep them from those things? Maybe Romans 8.28 is really just a promise for Americans, right? It's only Christians who are in America that God will work together all things for our good. And yeah, those people, you know, they're just kind of, they have to find a different promise. Surely not. We look at the, dis- the disciples, the apostles, the apostles, Look at the suffering that they were destined to go through. Look at the way that they died. And it was God who was sovereign over all of these things. And the apostles knew it well. They said themselves that it is by many sufferings that we must enter the kingdom of God. Listen. God does have a good plan for his children. He does. God is loving. He is. All that he does, all that happens to you will work together for your good. But sometimes that good plan is sustaining you through suffering and not removing you from it. Why? Because he loves you and he knows what is best for you. So, your response is trust him. Trust that he's sovereign, trust that he's in control. The hope that we have as Christians is not in this world. The hope that we have as Christians is not that eventually God will give us more money or that eventually God will give us more this or better that. The hope that we have as Christians is that even if I die, my eternal inheritance in heaven is secured forever and no one can take that away from me. The hope that we have as Christians Is stored away for us. It's locked away in heaven where no one can touch it. That is an unshakable, irrevocable promise that you have as a Christian. And for those of you who are not in Christ, the irrevocable promise that you have It is that if you do not turn to him, and if you do not repent from your sins, that this world is as good as it's ever going to get for you. That one day, you will stand before God Almighty, and you'll have to give an account for the deeds done in your body. You'll have to give an account for you putting the stiff arm up and saying, no, thank you, I can do this without you. But you see, God has made a way in his sovereignty. He has made a way for you, even sinful you, to be made right before him and avoid the wrath to come. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, forth to walk a perfect, blameless life that you and I were supposed to live but never could live. This Jesus of Nazareth, as we're celebrating this Holy Week, went to the cross, suffered greatly, bore your sins, died on that cross, but as we will celebrate this coming Sunday, he rose back from the dead, and he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And if you will put all of your faith in him and give up on your sin, repent of your sin, turn to him, put all faith in him, you will have an inheritance in heaven with all the saints. Repent and believe the gospel. As we close out part two of this study, I know that there might be some who are hearing of of the far-reaching implications of God's sovereignty, and it might make you mad, and it might upset you, And you might be left with even more questions this hour than when we began this study. And I want to help put your mind and your heart at ease, not with my own words, but with Scripture. You see, yes, it is true that the sovereignty of God is far-reaching. And it does have profound implications that are hard for us to grasp as humans and even harder for us to think about. But let us be reminded that this sovereign God always acts in the best interest of his glory. And when he does that, we benefit greatly as his children. You see, Jesus explains to us in Matthew chapter 10. It's a very important lesson about God's sovereignty. He says, are not... Two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus picks this insignificant creature, this insignificant event. I mean, he says two sparrows are sold for a penny. He says that not even one of them falls out of the tree and dies outside of the jurisdiction of your father. And he reminds us, aren't you of more value than two sparrows? He says this to encourage us to not be afraid because we are of more value than little sparrows. After all, Jesus laid down his life for his bride, not for birds. So instead of feeling angry or upset regarding the unrelenting power with which the Lord rules, let us find great comfort in knowing that it's It's this God, it's this God that we serve. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. He formed you. He numbered your days and then detailed your every day. See the great love that the Father loves us with. See what great, incredible care He takes for His own children. So, Christian, rest in the sovereignty of God, knowing That nothing can happen to you unless the Lord allows it. And if he allows it, he will sustain you through it. And if he allows it, it is for his glory and it is for your good. So, be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. Oh, Sovereign Lord, we praise you, God, for your far-reaching control. We praise you for your authority. We praise you for your your wisdom in how you operate the affairs of this world. We praise you that, that nothing happens on this planet, God, without you overseeing it and without you working it out for a purpose, God. So we say Lord, glorify yourself. Lord, do what you must to glorify yourself in this world. Lord, and help us to see and understand that your sovereignty does not mean that you are against us if we are your children. That if we are your children, you're not out to get us, but instead, You're out to bring us nearer to you. May your purposes be accomplished, God. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.